0: I think
1: he's coming back?
0: I don't know. Go, this is your liberation. This city needs me. I need you to get me back in the game. Remember where you parked? Dark night rises. Takes a little time to get back in a swing, I think. So. PG 13 experience it in IMAX.
1: and welcome to another episode of whose filmography is it anyway and today we are going to cover the final film in christopher nolan's dark knight trilogy the dark knight rises oh boy. and with me as always my co-host and friend josh page
0: thank you Stephen. thank you for another lovely introduction this is it's really that an time, honor
1: yeah that time i added the friend part in
0: this is really it's a true honor today to be your co-host and friend, especially for an episode such as this.
1: All right. Uh, you want to tell us how you first saw the movie or when you first saw the movie?
0: I was working at uh summer camp uh, as a counselor. And um, my some of my friends were uh, uh, kind of hyping this up um, as expected. And this was one of those things, just to preface... Is, is it was one of those things where after The Dark Knight ended, I was kind of just like, we don't really need another movie because it's just the kind of this perfect ended um saga in my mind. And we can get to the debate on that. But I remember everyone's so hyped about it. I'm feeling like, yeah, hey, I'm not that hyped. But obviously, you know, you're going to show up for a sequel to The Dark Knight. I mean, it was just one of those event films. Um Yeah, so basically with this plan is as the movie was approaching, it became a group kind of event where all the kids might counselors were all, all got together we, we packed in like i don't know like felt like 10 to 15 people just all filling up rows um to go see this movie and i just can't really explain it, it the movie happened and it just kept going and it kind of just kept going and yeah and i have and then it all ended
1: it. <laughs> and it
0: ended and there were multiple. and there was
1: an ending stories.
0: there was an ending all right and there were various opinions throughout once it ended um on both sides and i'll save all that for you know later but i remember just very specifically that summer being very not excited until the moment i was and then i watched it and certain expectations were met and you know
1: the rest we will save but (laughs) it was a pleasant experience as for myself i um i was actually the opposite on all fronts i assume (laughs) because before this movie came out, I was very much in favor of a Dark Knight sequel. Like I believe I've said on a previous podcast, after the Dark Knight, I like went online and looked almost every day of like, what's happening with the Dark Knight Rises. There, I remember I saw like Philip Seymour Hoffman is the penguin. Johnny Depp is oh the my Riddler. God,
0: I remember all those rumors.
1: Yeah. Two Faces coming back. You know, I saw a lot of rumors and then, uh, you know, the day came, the movie came out, and I got all my friends together because they wanted to see it too. Although I think I was the driving force behind their excitement. And are you still I, friends with
0: these people? I am. I am. Oh, that's good. Dude, that's good.
1: This is back in 2012, mind you, when midnight premieres were, or like, opening night was like literally at midnight. Now you can see like the movie at like seven o'clock at night. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah if you, wanted you see, to see, yeah, if you wanted to see Endgame, you could see it at, like, 7 o'clock on a Thursday night. This is 2012, back when, like, you had to see the movie when it opened at midnight. I We literally went to a midnight screening of a three-hour movie. That's how crazy we were. <laughs>
0: We've all been there.
1: You know, it was what it was. I got a t-shirt.
0: Um, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned midnight screenings, because our growing up, our generation, it's just like, that back was in our America. day. Back in our day,
1: when I was a young weepers number,
0: before my knees started cracking and I had my canes twirling, and um, it's interesting that midnight screenings were an for an of were an event um all the way up until this movie, and I I don't want to blame this event specifically, although I don't know, I I certainly would say it's a standpoint of before and after in terms of when movie screenings uh, began to change their policies because the whole idea of gathering people in one specific place at one specific time it creates easy targets so it's kind of like it's interesting to see how yet again um, a Dark I don't know Night-
1: if it had to do with the shooting as much as it had to do with um, you know the, the two factors that come to mind automatically are the length of this like the length of this movie Is crazy, like, especially for a midnight premiere. You know, if you have work the next day, you know, you're going to be dead. They want to, so theaters are capitalizing (laughs) on the fact that if there's a seven o'clock show and you could sell out every theater. Absolutely. And then on top of it, you were, we were entering an era when blockbusters kept coming every month. It stopped Mm -hmm. being a twice a year event and it started becoming an every month comic book movie event.
0: Right everything was booming, and I think especially this in the wake of... This was 2012,
1: the year of uh, Avengers.
0: It was where comic book movies began to peak in a um financial way. Like, they started drawing in numbers that had never been seen by a box office, so that's definitely a factor. But, I, I mean, I feel like you know, even with the shooting, it was kind of just um, it was more of the argument that, like, alright, maybe the system should change at least a little bit. You know,
1: when it happened, Nolan wrote a statement that said, like, he felt his chapel was invaded, and like, I get that feeling. Absolutely, that's my. I mean, not because of quarantine anymore. I can't go to the theater, but I feel the void of the theater. I want to go back to the theater.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's a sacred. Um, it's a sacred space for people like us because we connect with film in the way that we do, and. Uh, to take that away for whatever reason is a, you know, it's a devastating thought. You know what I mean? So yeah. we experience it in a pandemic level because you know we're told, but like to experience it in a, lo- a level of terrorism or however you want to label it. It's just it's you know no one should have to be put in that kind of experience. So
1: yeah, I've heard more stories about Jesus on the movie screen than in church. But <laughs> I'm also Jewish. Yeah. It had the greatest- a very. Uh, I think that this movie uh, has had a very. Phantom Menacey kind of vibe, you know.
0: Um, I could see that. I could see what You know, I that.
1: feel like a lot of people left the theaters going, "That was amazing," and over time, people were just like, "But was it?"
0: But I think either either way, it's a it's a movie that creates discussion, which I don't think
1: Nolan intended
0: to do for those reasons.
1: Uh, um, but we can
0: we can get more on that. I mean, later. But
1: well, I don't know if Nolan intended a lot with this movie because it was clear he had no intention of making it uh yeah that's the that's just fact i'm sorry to people who love it i'm not saying my opinion i'm just saying he had no desire to really make this movie he had to come back and make it so he could get money for interstellar
0: there's a life there's a heartbeat missing that's kind of just it that's existent in almost every other thing he's done so
1: you can tell he had no desire to make it because he didn't even come up with an original title for the movie it's literally the same title as the last one with an extra word you know i will say in
0: terms of 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 this movie coming out and hyping up and people wondering what the title is i remember feeling that kind of not disappointment but kind of just like oh you're just gonna throw another word on the dark knight and kind of be like oh you know it's just come on just try and change it up again you know do something else yeah
1: that. but there's a song in <clears throat> the movie and they even say it in the movie the fire rises i feel like that would have been a better like if you want to go with the theme rises you don't have to do it the dark knight again just say the fi- batman the fire rises
0: yeah even that would have seemed a little more creative it's just kind of just all right well yeah, here we are. And
1: uh, you know, while we're at the subject of the music, we may as well just talk about it now. We keep repeating ourselves here, but Hans Zimmer, once again, great job.
0: The man is arguably the. Uh, he arguably holds it together more than anyone for this one.
1: I'm gonna make uh, Star Wars analogies later in this podcast, and I sure assure, and very much like Star Wars. The music is never the problem.
0: Yeah. No, that's a great that's a great way of putting it.
1: I don't really have much production or pre-production stuff. Nah,
0: that's fine. Just like, hit me with hit me with your best shot as uh, they want. Yeah, I want to keep
1: this minimal because I have a lot to say at the end. So locations that they shot in, they went a lot of places. They went to London, uh, which in London they took over the hangars that the streets of Gotham from Batman Begins were shot on, um, and that's where they built the pit and bane's layer in the sewers. then they shot him in hatton uh the wall street area i actually was in college around that time like i didn't go to visit the set because it was craziness over there but yeah yeah. but i saw a couple of extras at my school
0: that's cool that's cool
1: yeah because they had 1200 extras (laughs) and apparently it took them eight months to get all the prep in order to shoot that
0: yeah, I mean, and it shows you, well, you the can amount tell of it's...
1: extras that they used for this is out of control. Because the whole they shot uh, the football stadium in Pittsburgh, and for that they had eleven thousand extras, or not extras, but eleven thousand people came to like sit in the stadiums. Yeah. So between that and the other one, it's twenty three hundred people that are on this, or you know, they're in this film. It's crazy.
0: I will say that it does feel like, in hindsight, when you put it that way, because I've actually never thought about this till you just were saying it. But in hindsight, this actually does feel like the most crowded Batman movie. But this is the first time where it's like extras are almost notable, be it the the, the Gotham Police Department, the fo- the football stadium alone, um, but uh, just everywhere in the um, in the cave, in the prison, it's kind of just like they're they're it just really feels like they doubled, if not tripled, their numbers from. Even yeah, they went for a, kids, a very no.
1: epic vibe. Everything is just very large in this movie. It, yeah, that's
0: an that's a great way of putting it. It's a lot it's of a, tuna fish. It's a lot of tuna
1: fish. <laughs> a lot of tuna fish. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you want to know what the difference between the si- the streets in Chicago and New York are like? In Chicago, it's a lot more open. In New York, you're going to get these narrow fucking passageways.
0: Incredibly narrow.
1: <laughs> uh, They shot in L.A., and they shot in scotland as well this in scotland is where they shot the airplane sequence the bane's opening airplane sequence mm-hmm. which they did for real no obviously, but he but... obviously tom hardy was not in the plane but they actually filmed the plane being ripped to shreds
0: right and, um nolan did his nolan thing and said i want to do this for real um at it's i mean it's I mean, when we we could uh, you know, whenever we get there, it's it's debatably one of the best sequences of the movie. It's just it's breathtaking.
1: I really don't have much else. I just wrote in my notes that uh Nolan and company really con tried to con Marion Cotillard. Like uh JJ Abrams <sighs> for uh Star Trek Into Darkness um refused to admit that Benedict Cumberbatch was Khan prior to the uh, movie's release. Even at You're... Comic-Con, J.J. Abrams was asked, uh, is Benedict Khan? And he Someone flat knew. out said no. You know, know, it's the exact same thing with this. Everyone knew who Marion Cotillard was playing, and yet Nolan felt it necessary to lie about who she was. Yeah. And it's like, um... who are you trying to fool here, man?
0: it's um yeah it's definitely a a a con kind of move uh and i will get there when we get there (laughs) i'm actually a fan i'm a i'm a star trek into darkness fan i get a lot that's another one of those last jedi kind of jj again another one kind of one of those things that i get um i get flack for but i can understand why diehard fans would get upset
1: i have only seen it once yeah, back when it came out, so I don't remember it. I can't comment. I, I just remember, remember that R2D2 was in it. We'll have to. Uh,
0: we'll have to get there when we get there. When you know, when we cover JJ Abrams, <laughs> which is not gonna. I don't you think it'll be anytime soon. You just broke me like that. <laughs> I, I broke the bat.
1: <laughs> broke the bat.
0: Oh my god. That was a lot. He's part of enough. Uh, fran- he's part of enough franchises that he'll show up when you.
1: Cover franchise. I think I've told you this term. It's not my term, so I don't want any credit. I forget who said it, but J.J. Abrams is a franchise Viagra. There it is. He's always brought in to try and rejuvenate a dying franchise: Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Star Wars, and now maybe uh, Superman. Yeah, he's say, um, he succeeded, but this is what he's brought in for.
0: No, yeah, he's he's absolutely he's very talented in what he does. For that reason. We'll get there when we get there because yeah. he's a, he's a can of worms. I'm not opening that can of worms.
1: But here's the thing. I'm um, Just one last quick comment, and then we can re- start reading. Sure. But, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams, the one thing I'll say about him is he is franchise Viagra because he's great at getting things started, but he's not good at ending things, you know. The Viagra has lasted more than four <laughs> hours. <and it's> just, <laughs> I need to go to the hospital after some of – after his – finales
0: no this is a kind of rhetoric question you don't have to answer if you don't have an answer but if he's a starter car then who is a good finisher car because i haven't really seen too many people been able to pull off uh their climax a nice finish you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is a good question again i I don't
0: i don't even know the answer
1: all (laughs) right everyone you ready to get into this josh i'm ready to dive in ma'am
0: I don't know if we've really touched on it, but the opening um, sequences of the bat symbol flashing onto the screen all have their different references to something that happens towards uh, the end of the film. I believe in the beginning was the the burst of bats with the orange backdrop or brown bronze backdrop of the Batman begins, and the second was the um, clouded smoke of the blue backdrop of the Dark Knight, and this we have the grayish whitish ice cracking. Uh, for the Dark Knight Rises, I like his little, um, his little hints of trickery. Um, I that was something that was always fascinating that we never really Covered, touched yeah, on. It, yeah, it,
1: um, you're right; it does get underplayed. Did you say he's colorblind? He is colorblind.
0: Yeah. Anyway, let's do this thing. We open with a quick flashback. Commissioner Gordon is reading his eulogy at Harvey Dent's funeral. Though the scene is familiar, it sets up the wound of the Joker still festering in the city of Gotham which I will say right now, I read a note because I have uh, trivia. I always read the trivia for these movies mm-hmm. is that um, where did he say it? Um, about a year before the movie's release? Nolan mentioned he was considering using a mixture of CGI and deleted scenes from the dark Knight to have the Joker appear briefly, but ultimately decided it was disrespectful to Heath Ledger. But it's the reason I mentioned is it, because it's, it's, you know the wound of the Joker still festering in the city of Gotham, and it's funny because I remember when this movie came out, it's that was a question: is Will the Joker reappear somehow or be mentioned? To which, you know, he he's not, but um, yeah, well,
1: it's it's no, it's another non-secret that had Heath Ledger had survived, he would have been the villain again, or at least would have come back the way that Crane came back.
0: Yeah, they would have found a way. They would have found a way to do something with him. But it's very interesting to see how his death kind of set up a lot of different uh, decisions that must have been made in the writing process. But nevertheless, the dawn that Dent promised is coming, but is artificial. Lies beget lies. Gordon's speech is short and curt as he concludes, I believed in Harvey Dent. The scene quickly changes to Uzbekistan. Upon an unofficial uh, tarmac, a CIA uh, airplane awaits. Coming to join them, it's a car containing Dr. Bevel and three hostages with bags over their heads. The hostages are said to be working for the masked man, Bane. I (laughs) I think I've heard of Elated, the CIA officer, Aiden Gillen, a.k.a.
1: Peter Baelish, Littlefinger,
0: Game of Thrones, son brings the hostages on board without even checking who they are. Once tough, aboard, the plane, Tough stuff for this guy. This is really tough stuff. He's, he's really a, not. He's,
1: a, he's, he's kind of a dick. Go on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Once aboard the plane, the interrogation begins. The CIA holds a hostage's head out of the airplane door, asking him about Bane. The hostage does not speak, nor does the other. The CIA officer is stunned that neither man will talk. A cold, metallic voice answers the CIA's confusion.
1: Well, perhaps he's
0: wondering why someone would shoot a man before throwing him out of a plane. The CIA officer knows who the third hostage is, but in his arrogance continues to believe he is in charge. He barks sharply. Who are you? The chilling voice returns. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. Already the audience knows who is under the mask, which makes the line about having a plan all the more important. Already, a difference between the previous villain, the Joker, and Bane has been established. Bane has a plan and is hellbent on making sure everything happens. This is also an incredible South Park line. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. You should have respected my authority. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Are
1: you, uh, let's, let's take a little break here. It's just Talk real quick. Are you a fan of Bane's voice?
0: So I I actually think that it's one of those things that instantly kind of got made fun of and it became this... like no, no. It became an inevitable lampoon of just like self-parody and jokes and people not taking it seriously. I, for one, thought it was fine. I don't think it's as distracting... Or as silly as other people make it out to be, um, does it seem jarring? Absolutely. I mean, it's just uh, who talks like that, and I'm not saying that really in a necessarily a negative way, but if, of course it's it's noticeable. Um, but I'm not, I've, I'm neither here nor there. I think it's fine.
1: It's extremely noticeable. I I know it all was ADR, but you don't yeah. have to make it seem like it's ADR. It comes through in a way that you can understand what he's saying, but it's also a cr- as crystal clear as I can make it sound. It's, yeah, I mean, and
0: no, that's definitely a factor in the way that it's recorded. But, it, like, when he speaks, as, as much as I, I just said, it, I, I'm fine with it, or neither here nor there, it's like, for Nolan to want to capture his world in a sense of realism, this feels like a character who's speaking like he's from, like, ancient mythology. Like, he's a character who belongs in, like, a dungeon and, like, some kind of fantasy lore. Like, that's the kind of voice he, he's putting
1: out for me. So, like, I don't mind it. I also feel like Nolan, who is a very, um, he tries to take things very seriously. Absolutely. And the fact that the mask comes into play, it's comical, one. Two, it has this unrealistic factor to it. It's the most unrealistic thing part of everything in this world.
0: That's, that's the exact point I was just making, yeah.
1: To the Phantom Menace analogy we were I was using earlier, this was like when you first saw Newt Gunnery's mouth moving backwards and then like, you're just like, this is ridiculous. Why are they speaking <laughs> English right now?
0: <laughs> um, I showed, so I just, to, we can scratch all this, but I showed my mother the Star Wars movies for her first time
1: ever. Wow. She had crazy. seen-
0: yeah, we went as fa- as a family to see The Force Awakens in 2015, assuming that my family had all seen Star Wars. And my mom's like, yeah, I saw Star Wars years ago. But my mother is like, unless she's directly 100% focused, she's, you'll, you'll lose her. So she didn't know what the Force was. She thought the Force was like a force of – the. I thought the, uh, the Jedi were a force and the villains were a force. And they were forces of like good and evil. I'm like, no, no, you were grossly misunderstood. You 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 grossly misunderstood Star Wars. If you you had much know. to
1: learn, young Grasshopper.
0: So we watched all the Star Wars before um uh Force Awakens. What, what was the name no, what was the name of this last piece of shit? The Rise of Skywalker. Rise of <laughs> so I wanted to show her from the beginning, and I was like, listen, Sad. I know you've seen some of these movies in between, but let's start from the beginning and we watched Phantom Menace and it was completely unexpected. She loved Jar Jar Binks. She thought oh, the man. She, she was crying hey, and, and some people
1: do she was
0: crying during Revenge of the Sith she was like very invested in the prequels and she a lot of had people
1: a- cry during Revenge of the Sith I th- yeah I don't know if I sent you this video but there's this amazing reaction video where this girl I think she's like I, I don't even know she was like 13 12 13 years old and she's watching Revenge of the Sith and she had no idea Anakin was Vader and it's the scene where he said he's pledging his loyalty to the emperor
0: that's how my mother was basically, and this
1: girl was freaking out. She was like, "Wait, wait, what? Wait, what?" And then he names him Vader. He's like, "You will be known as Darth Vader," and her face drops. See, amazing.
0: I, I love the, and we'll get to this when we, because we have to cover. You and I have to cover Star Wars in this lifetime because it's really, it's all you and I have been building this, this.
1: Everything that's what forced. this whole thing was built on. This, this is all just a, an elaborate scheme to talk so, Star Wars one time. I'm
0: very curious to get there because Star Wars has probably come up at least once or twice or five times every time we talk. So It's, it's like, going to
1: definitely come up again later.
0: <laughs> but it's, like, I think for me, that's the magic of Star Wars is knowing that like, that's why when people say, hey, I'm showing someone Star Wars for the first time, do I start with episode one or do I start with episode four? And I'm like, you have to start with a new host so that they know the story, then they can appreciate it. But to
1: see someone experience it I, I think, think should, right now, if you were to start with any movie, it would be Rogue One.
0: But you're oh, Okay, that's, that's another debate. But you're still, you're still starting them from the point where you know Darth Vader is, is Darth Vader. Vader. And I, then what you do is when you reach The Last Jedi, you say, this is how it ends. I promise.
1: This, this is, is how just, it ends. You're going to hear is, that there's a ninth movie. But th- that's is, a lie. This is very much uh, Indiana Jones 4 talk as well um, it's like there's no fourth one i know you're not, gonna hear a lot of people saying that there's a fourth indiana jones movie but just, that's a lie that's just a you, myth that people and put you could out be there
0: watching to, the actors coming back and it's still not a real movie it's a figment of your imagination anyway just so wait for uh, indy five <laughs> so i'm showing oh i'm not ready to open up that can of worms with james mangold and an 80 year old harrison ford get out of here i'm not ready to go down that rabbit hole i don't know mangold gets me excited mangold it gets me excited, but don't bring Harrison Ford back to continue these r- roles where he's swinging from vines as a near eighty-year-old man. And I just, I can't buy it. I can't here's do it anymore. I,
1: here's what I want. I don't. It, I just don't think it's going to happen. But here's what I want. I want it to be like the Indiana Jones Chronicles. I don't know if you ever watched the TV show. <clears throat> I remember it coming on, but I never watched it. But the show was like kind of weird. It was like eye-patched Indiana Jones, like drunk at a bar, telling stories about when he was young. Like, there you go and then that. you cast then you cast a young actor as, and then a, you can have indiana jones six seven eight nine yeah you know? with a young with a new actor yeah i want to take that to your mother you were showing stars to your mother
0: so oh my god you got really off track so basically but all of a sudden we're watching and the uh it's viceroy and whoever and talking like puppets and these asian accents are coming out and she's like <laughs> really racist she's like, she's like why are they talking like chinese people i'm like I have so many I have so many problems with <laughs> everything. The going on I was like, listen, you have to just accept the fact that this is this is this is a woman who outright is like, oh, I love Jar Jar Pink's character, and yet like keeps constantly referring back to the puppets speaking like Chinese people. And I'm like, listen, just let it be that's what it is. How I
1: feel about Bane's voice. I watch and it and I am like, what is happening right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's bringing it full circle. I mean that's it's hard to it's hard to dismiss it, whether you like it or not. It's hard to dismiss. It is there and it is in your face.
1: It's an unstoppable force meeting oh. an immovable object.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, to put it lightly, um, I'm going to continue this bit before Go we get it. before I get down a Star Wars rabbit hole again. Any threat of ignorance is lifted as a bag on Bane's head is pulled off. His face is seen his eyes cold as sharks and mouth covered by a second mask. That is uh, It's a mask within a mask. It's He's a, inception. He's incepting. He has incepted the mask. Um, as this happens, a second plane emerges from the clouds. Men from the second plane drop and, uh, and wire the CIA aircraft. The jet and wings are ripped off, quite literally, as we have said
1: literally pulled right off it's literally pulled
0: off it actually is incredible the cia plane is now suspended only bane's plane questions arise as a a corpse is wired down to bane the plan is quickly revealed as dr pavel's blood is being injected into the corpse yeah
1: that's pretty gross
0: i love it i love i mean it's a ballsy opening it's incredibly well done it's pretty i don't know they get you excited and it's well i mean we'll get into it after but bane Needed a body for the CIA to find. He is making this attack look like a crash. Bane grabs Pavel and the ascent to safety as the shell of CIA's plane is plunged down to its doom. The fire rises. To put it lightly, pretty
1: good scene. Pretty just pretty to good.
0: reiterate, and not to re, not to re, to say what's already been said, but this, uh, when you go about it like this, it's just beat by beat, it's an inc- it's just an incredible scene. It's an incredible way to start the movie it is it pulls it right in it's breathtaking
1: back in gotham a fundraiser is taking place at wayne manor as we learn through extensive exposition dumps it It is literally everything every every word that everyone says is an exposition dump i mean it's needed
0: it's needed to a degree but it's really a lot of tuna fish
1: exposition it is everyone is just talking about what's happening and i'm like you guys haven't had these conversations off camera before, you know, it's <laughs> been eight years, you know, we shouldn't be shocked. Uh, anyway, we learned that it has been eight years since Dent died. The Dent Act got a thousand criminals off the streets and the Dent Act has its detractors, the mayor, which I don't understand how this guy is still mayor. You know, aren't there term <laughs> limits? Like, there have to be. We already set up that this happened eight years ago. Okay. If that's true, he should be out of office. The mayor also talks about the murderous thug Batman, all the while Bruce Wayne watches from atop the mansion. The talk amongst everyone, from the kitchen staff to Miranda Tate, Marion Cotillard, and Daggett, Ben Mendelsohn, is not Dent, but Bruce Wayne, and his seclusion from the world. He's gone very COVID-friendly. Very COVID-friendly. Very COVID-friendly. He doesn't uh, touch people. Go near people.
0: It was a good uh, COVID-19 prediction right here. This is good.
1: Yeah, but even in the movie, they're making jokes. Daggett is making jokes about him being like Howard Hughes, asking if Bruce has eight-inch nails, has been pissing in mason jars and wearing tissue boxes for shoes. You know, and he wasn't far off. (laughs) Uh, Notable
0: Nolan humor. Notable humor. Well, Well, keep referring to
1: some back behind the scenes type stuff. Nolan wanted to make a Howard Hughes movie. This, uh, this little nobody here named he's Martin little, Scorsese made a Howard Hughes movie first. He's a tiny, tiny man. <laughs> Gordon is then asked to come on stage and give a speech about Harvey Dent. As Gordon walks to the podium, we learn that Barbara, Gordon's wife, has taken the children to Cleveland. We also learn that the mayor is going to drop Gordon in the fall. The excuse is simply political. Detective Foley, Matthew Modine, who's also Matthew Modine, completely overacting in this movie.
0: He's really giving it uh, his all. Anyway. It's funny because I just completely forgot about him, but when he's on screen, he's he's hard to forget.
1: The excuse is simply political. Detective Foley says Gordon is a war hero. This is peacetime. Gordon reaches the podium and pulls from his jacket a speech. He begins, The Truth... I have a speech written out telling the truth about Harvey Dent, but maybe this, the time is, isn't right. The speech is put back into his pocket as he tattles off a generic speech, but it is clear the lie of Dent is eating Gordon alive. Not only does he have to lie about Batman being a murderer, but daily Gordon must compliment and use a man who held his family by gunpoint up to a high pedestal, uh, the criminals were put away, but at what cost? While the festivities continue, Selena Kyle, Anne Hathaway, dressed as a party waitress, was tasked with bringing Master Wayne his food. She drops the food on the instructed table, but explores the room in the east wing, finding pictures of Martha, Thomas, and Rachel. Bruce makes quite the entrance as he shoots an arrow towards <laughs> Selena's head. She wasn't standing six feet apart. I'm telling you, man, this COVID friendly, you nailed it. I mean, that's. The years have clearly not been kind to Bruce. While he doesn't have eight inch nails and wear and wears regular shoes, he looks thinner, has a scrubbed up beard and needs a cane to walk. Selena humbly apologizes, but Bruce doesn't buy it at all. As he notes, the necklace she's wearing, Selena's demeanor completely changes from sh- from shy to confident. As she kicks Wayne's cane out from under him and backflips out the window, she makes her escape by getting into a congressman's car. Uh, the congressman is Brett Cullen, who played uh, Thomas Wayne in The Joker. Actually,
0: oh, fun little fun fact there. Huh. Also,
1: Catwoman's. Backflip was ridiculous. You're telling me you can just backflip out of a second story window and be fine on the landing? Reality is out the window. Well,
0: (laughs) yes, there's that. I was gonna say is that if you didn't know, if you didn't have any inkling that this be Catwoman, this backflip should help put you in the right mindset that this could be Catwoman because uh, she needs to be theatrical.
1: Are you a fan of her, Catwoman?
0: Um. She's actually one of my least favorite parts of this movie. Mm -hmm. But that's also because I have.
1: You have half the hate?
0: Yeah. I think she's a good actress, but she milks it. She overdoes it. And she's very. I don't know. It's like when I see her in this, I just see her in Les Mis. I see her just like really milking the role. I just. It's not that I hate Nolan's version of this character. It's just I see Anne Hathaway. I see her playing this role. And I just see this. I just see Anne Hathaway being Anne Hathaway. It's I, sure the half I hate. Yeah. Uh,
1: the only thing I'll say is I, I prefer Michelle Pfeiffer.
0: Oh my God, that's that's, that's no say. question.
1: Alfred enters the room to find Bruce on the floor. He's inspecting the vault Selena broke into. The necklace has a tracer on it. What is far more curious is that Selena stole Bruce's fingerprints. And what is a per- what is the perfect metaphor? We see Gordon, the only one of the three angels from the Dark Knight. Looming over Gotham next to the broken bat symbol. The light is extinguished, but not forgotten. Interrupting the commissioner's thoughts is John Blake, Joseph Gordon Levitt.
0: This movie, arguably, not just among the Dark Knight trilogy, but among all of Nolan's movies, relies on coincidence probably more than any other thing he's done. Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: but the coincidence they, of John and, uh, Tate being in the right places at the right times, the amount of times that they are, it's just like, it's hard to believe. But that goes into, I don't want to say the laziness of the writing, but that goes into
0: why this movie is problematic for people because all of a sudden you start trying to apply logic, which you never would have thought to do in any Nolan movie. I mean, we've made jokes about like, um, you know, Inception being very meta and it's very, it's like almost too meta. Applying logic has never felt more... Warranted than when you watch it, you're like, "Well, how is it that this character appears here or this event happens there so perfectly that it couldn't have happened any other way?"
1: You know what it is? It's it's the first time that you could take like a step back in a Nolan movie and just kind of assess it as it plays out because. Inception, let's be real. When you are watching that movie, what you're really trying to do is figure out how the movie is operating, like looking at the logic of a dream world.
0: Absolutely. You're not going to question the logic of...
1: And The Dark Knight, you're not going to sit back and like question how the Joker got from one place to the next because you're just too excited that the Joker is on screen. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I'm not excited to see him just standing next to the commissioner at the right time or finding the the commissioner at the sewer at the right time. I'm just like, how is this even possible? How do you keep running into these people?
0: Part of the territory, you know. I, but John,
1: I uh, Let me get back into it. But John Blake walks onto the roof, interrupting Commissioner Gordon's thought process. Apparently, the congressman, last seen with Selena, has not made it home, and uh, the wife wants Gordon on the case. Gordon finds this task amusing. Blake takes a look at the bat symbol and asks Gordon, don't you want to know who he was? Gordon replies, I know exactly who he was. He was the Batman. This comment is reminiscent of a bold, aloof statement made by wise men in fiction novels. It's like very Gandalfian. Yeah, a statement that says to the audience so much about where Gordon's alliance allegiance lie, but so little to the officer asking the his superior question. Like, yeah. why are you asking me this question here? Like, who are you? <laughs> you know, it reminded me of like Harry Potter, where you know when Harry goes to uh, the mirror of Eriset. I Hogwarts, knew that's where you're
0: going with it. Yeah,
1: and Dumbled- and Harry asks Dumbledore, "What do you see in the mirror?" And Dumbledore just replies, I see me holding socks, Harry. And it's like, of course he's not going to answer your question. Like, you're just a kid. What are you doing here? You're not even supposed to be up here. (laughs) You can't just come having lunch.
0: I'm having lunch, damn it. All right, This this is the answer that you need to hear, even if it's not the answer you want to hear. Back at Wayne Manor, Alfred goes to bring Bruce his breakfast. But Bruce is not in bed, surprisingly. He is in the Batcave. Guess it was too late to cancel the construction of the cave before he stopped being Batman, which uh, raises some questions. But, you know, I guess they needed to keep it, the lights on in some way.
1: It definitely raises questions, but go, keep, going,
0: <laughs> keep going. Bruce has located Selina and wants to know what she is doing with his fingerprints. Alfred comments that Bruce should go out with Selina. Bruce reminds Alfred she is a burglar alfred responds at this point i'd set you up i'd set you up with a chimpanzee if it brought you back to back to the world bruce explains that there's nothing in the world for him in a very goodwill hunting style monologue alfred tells bruce that he wished bruce never came back to Gotham because there was nothing for him in the city but pain i just want to make a note that's an incredible reference it is it, It's
1: literally the exact same speech it was like I For those seven years, I was happy because I thought that you were out there being happy.
0: Yeah. It's the ultimate speech that anyone wants for a loved one who knows that they're holding themselves back from a better life. Alfred elaborates with his fantasy of seeing Bruce at his favorite cafe in Florence. They wouldn't need to speak or embrace, but Alfred would know he's happy, which is all that Alfred has ever wanted.
1: I've been very harsh on Alfred on this podcast Never on Michael Caine because he plays him very well, but I've Absolutely. been hard on Alfred. But his performance in this movie outweighs some of the dialogue that he's giving. This is further
0: proof of a, uh, and I'm sure you could put many people in this, many actors or characters in this category where the actor almost outweighs the character because of just like, if this were not as convincing a performance, you would almost be like, all right, you know, Blake is called to a crime scene. The body of a 16-year-old has been found at a sewer grate. Blake knows this kid from an orphanage. Blake, the group home, to talk to the head of the house. The dead boy, the dead boy was turned away from the house as he turned 16 and the Wayne money stopped coming in. 16, year, 16 years old on the streets, really? Like, <laughs> I thought the rule was 18. Like, 16
1: is pretty fucking young. That's crazy.
0: Absolutely. Um, I don't know who decided that was the age.
1: I feel like Nolan read Oliver Twist before writing the script.
0: Had to have. That's a very, that's, please, uh, can I have some more? You know, that's a very... uh, 16 just seems way too young to be
1: kicked out of a boarding house.
0: Blake then goes up to talk to the brother of the dead boy. The brother does not seem distressed at all.
1: It was actually alarming how that kid's a fucking sociopath.
0: I was going to say, I don't know if that's in the writing or in the kid's acting, but that kid is kind of just like,
1: huh. It was definitely the acting because he's this kid is literally told your brother is dead, and,
0: and he just he's like just
1: like doesn't care I, like what you're about to read. All he's doing is literally drawing bat symbols on bleachers, and it's like, do you think that Batman's coming back? It's like, kid, I just told you, I just told you your brother is dead. Are
0: you kid like your brother is dead? What are you doing? Stop what, drawing what on the streets. Right the brother does not seem distressed at all. He's drawing bat symbols with chalk, so disrespectful. So disrespectful. However, the kid does tell Blake that there is talk of work in the sewers. Not very COVID-friendly. Not COVID-friendly. Selena Kyle enters a bar with the missing congressman. She quickly shoves the congressman to the side and sits opposite Stryver, Bern Gorman.
1: He's always she, that background creep that in
0: every movie. I was going to say he plays it well. She slides Bruce's fingerprints to Stryver. The situation quickly turns as Striver's bodyguard holds a gun to Selena's head. The thumbprint is missing, as is Selena's payment. Selena pulls a cell phone out of her pocket and has Striver send a message. The thumbprint handed off, but Striver is still set to kill Selena. She laughs as she says that the text that was just sent was on the congressman's cell phone. And the cops are going to soon, soon be at the bar.
1: It's pretty well done. That was a good plan. I'll give her I- credit.
0: I do remember watching that scene in the theater and being like, all right, you know, she's got some style. Selena begins to kick the bodyguard's asses, to put it lightly. When the cops burst through the door under the cover of gunfire, Selena leaves the scene of the crime. Gordon arrives at the scene because, of course, the commission would be at an active scene like this. Of course. Again, with coincidence, it is only fitting that Gordon shows up exactly when he does. Um, Gordon then jumps down into the sewers to pursue the criminals. Note, he did not get naked before he got the sewers. Please note. Got to note that. Did not get naked before he got into the sewers. That's
1: That's not a good call.
0: An explosion goes off, stopping any more police from going into the sewers. Gordon is knocked out and dragged to a massive construction site all under Gotham's nose. At the site is furious Bane. Bane is smart. He is shirtless. No wall of piss that will make his clothes smell. See, Bane knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He listened to Charlie. Bane listened to Charlie. Bane watched with his mask on. Bane watched with a remote in hand, He sat very closely to his television. Find a lot of
1: great stuff in the
0: sewers. It's like
1: <laughs> it's like clamming. <laughs>
0: He's shirtless. No wall of piss and shit will make his clothes smell. Bane wants to know why the soldiers took the commissioner to the heart of the organization. In a Vader moment, Bane kills one of those men. That's a good... I've never thought of that, but, you know... literally choking his own men out. It's true. You need to... Well, you need to make the villain a threat somehow. Not just have him pull off a heist with leaving a body behind it. You really gotta have him... You really gotta feel like he's willing to kill anyone at any given moment. And this is one of those moments. Um, In the heat of confrontation, Gordon throws himself into the flowing waters of the sewer. Bet he took off his clothes now.
1: Bet he wishes he took off his clothes.
0: Well, now, come on. Now he's got to be learning. Blake finds Gordon, of course. Uh, He is alive, but has been shot. For real this time, not like in The Dark Knight. Because as we all know, in The Dark Knight, he was shot. But that was fake
1: news. The next day, Blake shows up at Wayne Manor. He wants to meet Bruce. He's only allowed to do so after threatening to get a warrant for Harvey Dent's death. Blake tells Bruce that Gordon has been shot and what Gordon saw in the sewers. Bruce asks why Blake doesn't just tell his superior officers. Blake says they know, but they don't care. What Gotham needs is Bruce, is the Batman. In a sociopathic monologue, Blake explains that years ago, Bruce came to the orphanage he grew up in during that Let's visit blake saw in bruce the same empty smile that he had practiced in the mirror many times very sociopathic it was just like <laughs> i was just like kid you need to like maybe you should go into a fucking psychiatrist here <laughs> uh blake knew then that bat that bruce was the batman blake before leaving also informs bruce that the orphanage is no longer being funded between Blake and Selena's pull to the world, Bruce is ready to re enter. Bruce wants to meet with Fox and see a doctor that's in the same hospital as Gordon. A clean shaven Bruce is at the hospital. The doctors tell him that there is no cartilage in Bruce's knees, elbows, or shoulders. In other words, he does not recommend hella skiing. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as the doctor leaves the room, Bruce puts on a mask and grapples down to Gordon's room. Was Gordon, like, directly below him? How did that even work? I don't understand. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> Gordon is laying in anguish, physically and emotionally. He has been shot. But now before him, after eight years, is his friend, who, re- who rendered his soul barren. we this together. Bruce tracks Selena down at an eyes wide shut masquerade. (laughs) (laughs) It was very eyes wide shut. It was ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. What? Hey, we've said it many times. Nolan is a Kubrick fan. It's true. At the party, he meets Miranda Tate, who is the host of the ball, or I guess hostess. She wants Bruce to show her the progress his company has made toward the clean energy initiative. They part ways with no promises. Bruce moves his way through the decadence of the ball to dance with Selena. She notes that he is not wearing a mask. He says very, he is wearing a mask. The mask of Bruce Wayne, eccentric billionaire, which Very
0: Very covid friendly. Very covid friendly.
1: No, but <laughs> this has been a running theme throughout all of Nolan's uh Batman movies. The fact that Bruce Wayne is the mask, Batman is the real person. Bruce flips the conversation to her. He notes that she is in deep with people she should not be. He also says uh, he has a special friend that could help. Selina laughs it off and gives Bruce a warning. I think all this can last. There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches, because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so long. Through the veneer of, a, of the lavish party, the conversation continues to be brought up that there is in, unjust inequality running rampant through the city. All the same, Bruce wants his mother's pearl necklace back, which, you know, that's fair. Oh, Selena absolutely. obliges, but in return takes Bruce's car. The next day, Bruce meets Lucius Fox at Wayne Tower. Fox explains the company is hurting. All the money went to the energy division, which Bruce refuses to use, Fox also notes that Daggett is trying to take control of the company. Bruce abruptly ends the meeting, much to Fox's dismay, noting that the conversations used to end with in more unusual request. Fox invites Bruce down to the lab for old time's sake. Fox explains over the past few years, he has been consolidating all the weapons Wayne Enterprises has built under one roof, his roof. So... Good, good job. He did it. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is a really tough look for uh, Lucius Fox. He drops the ball on many an occasion in yeah, this movie. Yeah, he does. It's what? like, dude, you're already at two strikes here. You know, you let the company go into financial ruin, and now you're like consolidating all of this equipment. You know, as we keep going, I'll point out Fox. He doesn't feel up. as
0: he doesn't feel as crucial. He's he just feels like he's kind of just there. It's not
1: he that does. he doesn't just feel. Crucial. He makes so many mistakes. Yeah. I will keep pointing them out as we keep going, but like I said, we're already at two here. In the vault are several camouflage colored tumblers, but the real draw is put on the slim and agile aircraft simply known as the Bat, which does come in black. I know you're really worried. At the Bat Cave, Bruce is putting on a knee brace, which painfully realigns Bruce's leg. Of course Fox can build one of these because, you know, what else can he fucking build? <laughs> and now Bruce's leg is so strong that it can literally break a brick as he kicks.
0: He's been limping for eight years, but now it's fixed. You know, it's just kind of suspension of disbelief is really climbing up the ladder here. So it, it,
1: <laughs> Alfred shares his findings on Bane. There is a prison in a, in a more ancient part of the world a pit where men are thrown to suffer and die. But sometimes a man rises from that darkness. Sometimes the pit sends something back. Alfred continues by sharing that once Bane got out of the pit, he was trained and ultimately excommunicated by Ra's al Ghul, Bruce's old master. Unlike everyone else, Gordon, Blake, Fox, and inadvertently Selina, Alfred is begging Bruce not to go after Bane, to reject the call. The bat suit rises from the water now, and Bruce, his mind is made up.
0: At the Gotham Stock Exchange, it appears to be just another day. The metal detector goes off as a man wearing a motorcycle helmet walks through. Bane reveals himself and kills the bodyguards with the helmet. Quite a move, by the way. Uh, Several of Bane's men emerge from their disguises on the market floor. Bane pulls a stock marketer over to a computer and throws his head on the desk. Using the broker and Bruce Wayne's stolen prints, they bankrupt Bruce. This process will take eight minutes. With the police now surrounding the building, Bane decides to take the plan mobile. He grabs a data pad. The hostages from the stock exchange floor are coming out of the building with their hands up. Bane and his men launch out of the building on their motorcycles with hostages zip-tied to the back.
1: Which, again, I gotta call, like, bullshit just because of gravity. <clears throat> the plan wouldn't have worked if Batman hadn't shown up, but we will discuss this in a minute. When,
0: when you were talking that. about the differences between Bane and Joker and the whole concepts of them... Operating differently. This is just another example of something that the Joker would never do.
1: No, because the Joker's plan would have worked.
0: <laughs> it's, which is also true, but it's all it's just they operate in different ways, and this is this feels more like a tactical terrorist rather than an unpredictable terrorist. This is well, more that's someone what
1: Bane is. He is yeah. a terrorist. Terrorist, he, I guess. This
0: feels more like a terrorist you'd see in You know our what it
1: times. is? Bane is a terrorist. Joker is an anarchist. There is a difference.
0: In the end, he's here to make Gotham great again. The chase begins. The police are following Bane and his men. Blake in pursuit with Foley, now acting commissioner in his car. The police and criminals reach a tunnel. The lights flicker and go out. Out of the darkness, Batman on the Batpod emerges.
1: You're in for a show tonight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He quickly takes down one of the motorcyclists and is following the others. The police, under Foley's orders, switch attention from Bane to Batman. Bane drives right towards the cops, but they are all full steam ahead on Batman. Batman gets the data pad and flies away on the Bat. Where did the bat pod go?
1: Uh, did, it, in- did it blow up like the Tumblr did? They don't show what happened. You just see Batman go turn into that alleyway, and then he's in the... It Bat disappears. The next
0: second. But obviously it still has to be there.
1: That's my point. Like, where do <laughs> it go?
0: Batman's resurgence is all over the news. As Alfred watches in disgust. Gordon watches from his hospital bed and Daggett watches nervously
1: from his office.
0: Also in Daggett's office is Selina in her full Catwoman costume.
1: She yeah, pulls Daggett. The, the whole kit in caboodle here.
0: That's it. This is the this is the big reveal. She pulls Daggett to the side and holds him to a wall with her heel on his arm.
1: Very sexist.
0: Very sexist. Catwoman wants what she was promised for Wayne's fingerprints. She wants the program clean slate. A little on the nose. A little bit. The dynamic quickly changes as Bane's mercenaries enter the room. Catwoman jumps onto the window, washing Dolly, and makes her way to the roof. She is still surrounded, but Batman shows up. They fight together, but Batman lays out his rules. No guns, no killing. They escape and before Bane arrives. Batman's reason for saving Catwoman was not entirely altruistic. He needs to know what she did with Wayne's fingerprints. Catwoman notes that Wayne wasn't joking about having a powerful friend. She tells him that the fingerprints were sold to Daggett. He was behind the stock exchange heist. Before the conversation could go further, Catwoman vanishes from the roof. Leaving Batman to note, So that's what it feels like in another classic moment of notable Nolan humor.
1: Classic. That's one of those lines that you're just letting, you roll your eyes at. You're just like, ugh, ugh. Bruce flies into the Batcave and is elated. How could he not be? For the first time in eight years, he feels the rush of being Batman, of being himself again. Alfred is less excited. He points out to Bruce that had he not interfered, the police could have apprehended Bane, and he's not wrong. Bane literally drove toward every single police officer in Gotham. (laughs) Yeah. More than that, Alfred's research on Bane is making him more and more afraid. He believes Bane is the new head of the League of Shadows. Bruce, in his arrogance, says he killed Ra's al Ghul, and therefore the League. The conversation is not over. In the halls of Wayne Manor, Alfred gives Bruce an ultimatum. He will leave if Bruce continues to be Batman. Trying to break through to Bruce, Uh, Alfred reminds him that he had plans for a life after Batman once. Bruce answers in a whisper that Rachel chose him. That was supposed to be his future. Those were his plans after Batman, and they're gone because she is. Knowing there will be no reconciliation after this, and with a heavy heart and tears in his eyes, Alfred tells Bruce the dark truth. Rachel wrote a letter saying she was choosing Dent and that he burned that letter. Bruce tells Alfred goodbye.
0: Um, just not to inter- interrupt, but talking about Michael Caine's, showcasing Michael Caine's acting, this is probably the scene.
1: This is the scene.
0: Not just of this movie, but I think maybe of the entire Dark Knight trilogy that really showcases how good Michael Caine is.
1: The next morning, the doorbell rings, and Bruce calls for Alfred to get it. But Alfred's gone. At the door is Fox with a newspaper. The heist did its job. Bruce is now bankrupt and kicked out of his own company. In a manic pace, Bruce and Fox decide that Tate, not Daggett, should take over the company, as she is more responsible and won't misuse the energy initiative. (laughs) Again, this is, again, Fox. Dude, my dude. What are you doing here? What's happening? What is happening to you, Fox? (laughs) You're losing your marbles here. (laughs) Bruce and Fox, to underscore the severity of the project, bring Tate to its hideaway under a bridge. Bruce tells Tate, if misused, the project could become a nuclear bomb. Much to Daggett's dismay, Tate is voted in as the CEO of Wayne Enterprises. Daggett arrives to his office pissed, lambasting that at Bane that the heist didn't work. Bane notes that everything is going as expected, and boy, is it, Daggett reminds Bane who he works for. Bane responds by resting his hand on Daggett's shoulder, rhetorically asking, you feel in charge. Oof, that was was crazy. Just with a hand on a shoulder, you're like...
0: It works well. I, I enjoy it very much.
1: Bane then explains that Daggett has... Been very useful, but his usefulness has passed its time. Let's take a step back. Daggett may have a small screen presence, but he is the one who brought Bane to Gotham and built up the sewers for him. Through Daggett's corporate infrastructure, Bane was able to hide in plain sight as the wheels kept spinning. Daggett, scared, asks, "Who are you?" i Have Gotham's reckoning here to end the ball of time you've all been living on. Bane then kills Daggett
0: uh ben mendelson ladies and gentlemen
1: blake finds bruce outside of wayne tower bruce's car has been towed second car he's lost in a week (laughs) it's a rough stuff for bruce it's
0: really been a tough week for bruce coming back as batman
1: yeah he doesn't have alfred to drive him home either blake again (laughs) at the right place at the right time offers to drive bruce home in the car ride bruce is extremely open about being batman like literally he's just it's, like yeah i'm batman it's Great. one way to put it lightly blake harps on the mask aspect bruce tells blake that the mask isn't for him uh but it's for the people that he cares about and more importantly the idea was a was to be a symbol batman could be anybody that was the point bruce is dropped off at selena's apartment His powerful friend wants to meet Bane and thinks that Selina knows where to find him. He's not wrong. Selina agrees to take Batman to Bane for the Clean Slate program. Back in the hospital, Gordon and Foley are talking shop. Blake Blake walks into the room and hands Gordon a report on Daggett's body, which was found in a dumpster. Gordon promotes Blake to detective. Of course. You're going hi- to you're going to raise the- <laughs> any person to detective because they're at the right place at the right time. Of course, That's always. Co- you need someone me. like that.
0: Coincidence plagues this whole movie.
1: Back at Wayne Manor, Bruce gets out of a cab in torrential rain. He discovers that he does not have keys to his own home. <laughs> out of nowhere, Tate shows up. Again, magically coincidence just popping up. Together they break into the mansion. Bruce and Tate, bang.
0: Yeah, they do. He really, gives her, he really gives her the dentist system. <laughs> really? He really does. Or, he, or she gives him the dentist system, really. but
1: Yeah, she gives him the Tate system. Separate uh, entirely. Naked in front of the fireplace, Tate gives some clues as to who she really is, saying she was not always rich and fire was a luxury where she grew up. That should have oh, been a big boy, tell. That should bad.
0: have been. The fire rises. Good grief.
1: Bruce also notices a scar on her back. Bruce leaves as she sleeps. It's time to suit up.
0: Batman meets Catwoman in the subways of Gotham. She leads him down the dark path, which couldn't have been easy in those heels.
1: It's great, though. She's literally walking in gravel and heels. That could not have been easy.
0: I don't know how she does it. As they walk, Batman takes out mercenary after mercenary until Batman turns a corner and a trap door falls behind him. Catwoman sold him out for her own security. Surprise. Bane stands behind Batman. They move closer to one another and begin to fight. The word fight is generous as Bane owns Batman. Bane must play video games because his shit talking is unreal. Literally.
1: <laughs> watching it, re-watching it this time, I was astonished how much Bane is talking during this fight. Uh, one of the insults to the injury is
0: shown as Bane blows the ceiling of his sewer headquarters. With the rubble, drops a tumbler. The mercenaries now have access to the Wayne vault. On his good final job, in- Fox. Good <laughs> job. <laughs> he really did good that time. Um, where, am I, where am I? Hold on. On his final insult, Bane grabs Batman and smashes him on his knee. I was wondering what would break first, your spirit or your body? the Great Lion. The Batman is broken. Bane drops half of the cowl into the sewage and walks away. So I will say that while we're here and I've said this for a couple years and I felt it even more so watching it this time that this for me is the peak of the entire movie. This is the scene I mean the opening is pretty close but this scene no music just the sounds of the water the sounds of the punching Batman getting his ass whooped and it's almost if I'm not mistaken Pretty close, like in how it went down in the comics when he gets his back broken for real. I'm not
1: too familiar with the comics, uh, so I'm not going to comment on that, but I do agree. This is probably the high point of the movie. I know we were making fun of some of the reality that was at play, but this is the last moment that truly feels like a real moment.
0: It does. It doesn't feel like it's over dramatic, it doesn't feel like it's overplayed. All the other characters are just watching and Bane has just really given it to Batman. And he's really, you just feel it. You feel him getting the shit kicked out of him. And the, the whole, uh, the tension, the way it's directed, the way it's shot, the way it's, the, the atmosphere of it. For me, this is the pinnacle of it. I was like, this is, if you kept this atmosphere, the whole movie, like, we'd be, we'd be singing a different tune. But this is, I love this scene. I think it's incredible.
1: Blake is frantically knocking on Wayne Manor's door, but to no avail. But Blake has an idea to get information. Get Selena Kyle, of course. Selena, after having witnessed Bane break the bat, wants out of the city. She's at an airport trying to get out, but Blake is on her tail. Also, what, what was Selena wearing? Did you see the hat she's wearing? You're wearing that on a plane? Really? I know
0: they're going this for This isn't
1: the, the 1950s. You don't get I... dressed up to go on a plane anymore. Blake catches Selena and asks why she is running. Bain. She warns Blake, you should be as afraid of him as I am. Once the tape recorder is off, Blake asks Selena if their good friend Bruce Wayne is dead. Selena says she doesn't know. Selena is then taken into custody at an all-male prison. Uh, in the desert, in a far-off country, Bruce is being dragged to the prison pit that once held Bane. The prison only has one way in or out through a hole at the top. Anyone can attempt to climb to freedom, but only one person has ever done it. A child long ago. Bane waits for Bruce to wake up and continues to shit talk. He says he wants Bruce's soul to crumble. Bruce will be forced to lay in a pit, knowing freedom is so close, but so unattainable. More than that, Bane has ensured Bruce will be updated to what is happening in Gotham. Leaving, he tells Bruce... When it is done, and Gotham is... ashes, then you have my permission to die. With Batman out of the way, the plan in Gotham has accelerated. As Fox and Tate walk into an emergency board meeting, they find Bane holding everyone hostage. Bane wants to go for a field trip with Fox, Tate, and one other board member. They're going to the Energy Initiative headquarters. Once there, Dr. Pavel is told to remove the core from the reactor. Begrudgingly, he obliges, but warns Bane that unless reconnected to the reactor, the core will blow in five months. Gordon and Foley, hearing about the Wayne board, decide the time has come to search the sewers. While the police descend into the sewer tunnels, there's
0: a football game going on. With the push of a button, Bane blows up the bridges surrounding Gotham, the mayor, and the sewers. All three thousand policemen are now trapped underground. I will say this is another plot convenience. It's it's very convenient, and I'm not not knocking it, but it's just like you almost feel like it's way too easy. No, I'm not because any. I mean any any because logically you'd be like all right well where are the police in all this where is the where's the FBI where's the spot whatever so all of a sudden you have this one move and all of your and all the
1: boards are off the chest you know what I mean like like,
0: it's just it's 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 too convenient (laughs) it's too easy Uh, on that note with the little boy find
1: a lot of great shit down there oh they'd
0: have to I want to see the subplot when they start eating each other, those cops who are underground. Like, at what point do they start referring to uh, Cannibalism? No,
1: I want to see a spinoff where uh, Charlie and Frank run into the police officers in the sewers and are like, uh, hey. <laughs> hey, guys.
0: I will say on the note of the the little boy with the tiny little high voice that he sings during the football game, uh, an incredible sequence. Um, apparently Tom Hardy
1: improvised that line when he says, what a lovely voice. Bane saying it is ironic because it's pulling, it's pointing to the fact that Bane's voice is terrible.
0: Um, on the destroyed football field, Bane emerges saying, take control, take control of your city. Bane continues by introducing Dr. Pavel as the only man who can disarm the atomic bomb at Bane's back. Bane then shoots Pavel in the face. The audience, including Bruce in his cell are horrified. The rules are established. An unsung hero in Gotham holds the detonator, Talia. If anyone leaves Gotham, the entire city will be blown up. All the while, an assassination attempt is being carried out on Gordon. Gordon survives and gets away with Blake. The next day, on top of a tumbler, Bane arrives at the prison where most of the Dent axe victims are held. Bane pulls out of his pocket. Gordon's speech from the fundraiser and reads the truth about Harvey Dent. Which why does anyone believe him? Yeah, why does anyone
1: believe Bane when he's reading this speech? Like, there's no reason to believe what Bane is telling you.
0: Well, he's a terrorist at this point, so it's kind. Of, he's a full-blown
1: yeah, but all murderer. the more reason that
0: he would lie to
1: sow discord.
0: I'm completely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like he's
1: there's no reason that anyone should believe that the what he just read was true you're getting to the most illogical stuff in this real world. It's like the way he's just brushing away the police officers and the way he's just brushing aside.
0: wrapping it up pretty quickly. It's certain. um,
1: It's too much too fast.
0: Again, it's more of that plot logic jumping. It's kind of like, all right, well, let's just get to this next point. Yeah. Um, and this is where it starts to get sloppy for me. I feel like this is just the beginning. These new revelations are a tough pill to swallow, especially for Blake. Now looking at Gordon with disgust. Based on a lie. Nothing needs a hero. He needs it now more than ever. You betrayed everything you stood for. What's the point? Far there when the structures
1: fail you, when the rules aren't weapons anymore. Shackles, letting the bad guy get in here. One day, you may face such a moment of crisis, and in
0: that moment, I hope you have a friend like I did. To plunge their hands into the filth, so that you can keep yours clean. Your hands look plenty filthy to me, Commissioner. The tumblers blow a hole in the side of the prison. The prisoners go on a rampage down Park Avenue. This is more problematic stuff that I understand. The people, no, I don't understand it. I'm sorry. Like, were they all? do they? Don't they all? Aren't they all toting machine guns as they walk out of the prisons? Somehow
1: they all get machine guns. They all like the whole it's... point of being in that prison after the truth that was just told was like, hey, you may have been innocent. You could still get your case in front of a judge. And yet they choose to all become terrorists within a matter of seconds. It's very. It's it's a. It's more. It's so written. again within a matter of five minutes. A matter of like five minutes. Hey, you get rid of the police officers. You introduce an atomic bomb. You tell the truth about Harvey Dent, which is like, why should I believe you? And all the criminals are let out and become Bain's army. That's like five crazy plot holes in a matter of five it's, minutes. It, it's not even. It's not even. Well, it's. That they're plot holes, like they're no, your, your, I'm sorry. Then it's it's five big, it's very burns in a matter of minutes.
0: It's like, you're just it's, supposed to eat up. This is where it becomes more of a Batman movie than a Nolan movie. Um, yeah, not I mean, and I just I mean that because but we're
1: back to like the literally the 1966 Batman here. Because that's what I was just gonna say. A fucking bomb is the problem.
0: It's not that it's I'm not enjoying what's watching, but all of a sudden you're telling me to watch a
1: different movie than you've been telling me to watch for a two and a half movies, Bane in five minutes went from like really cool, albeit inaudible villain to like superhero villain. Oh, you know, absolutely. There's a difference. This is like his,
0: I don't want to, I don't know, like Whiplash comes to mind. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Mickey Rourke's like. Um, Mickey Rourke, uh, Whiplash. Uh, 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 Iron Man wrestler.
1: Oh, gotcha.
0: Well, he's, you know what I mean? He, you take a, a cool comic book character who just fuels, con- all of a sudden, becomes a one-dimensional, com- a f- cool comic villain in the sense that, like, you look cool, you're, 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 you look, you look the part, you act the part, but like now, all of a sudden, your motives are kind of out the window because now you're
1: just. I think doing that's another problem and- I have with Bane in general. You know, maybe I could, maybe I could get over the voice, but at the end of the day, they just keep cucking him at every corner.
0: The tumblers blow a hole in the side of the prison. Prisoners go on a rampage down Park Avenue. The people who were once the bottom are now on top. Martial law has taken hold under Bane's regime. Bruce is crawling on the floor of the prison cell. Even in the condition he is in, he cannot just sit idly by as Gotham crumbles. Bane hired a man in the pit to watch over Bruce to make sure that he survives until Gotham is blown away. Bane may have hired the wrong caretaker because he helps fix Bruce's back.
1: Yeah, I bet he was not expecting that one.
0: Not expecting. In a painful process, Bruce is hoisted up by rope as his back is punched back into place. He also tells the story of the one who made it out of the pit. A mercenary, Ra's al Ghul, married a war- uh, warlord's daughter in secret. He was condemned to the pit, but at the last minute, he was set free. Uh, his wife took his place in his stead with their child, Talia al Ghul, There was a riot in the prison, but the child had a protector, and the protector raised the child. That is all of the story before the blind man stops the conversation. What is it with Nolan putting blind men underground? (laughs) It just
1: seems like a thing at this point.
0: At this point, the movie kind of still has me. As much as you and I are literally saying how preposterous some of this feels, the movie still has me at this point, which is crazy that it's only about to get more ridiculous. And Bruce <laughs> understands that Raz was the mercenary from the tale, but believes that Bane was the child. Laying near unconscious on the ropes, the forest ghost of Qui Gon Jin, Ghul himself, um, Liam Neeson presents himself from beyond the grave. Raz al Ghul taunts Bruce. He's getting a lot
1: of smack this whole movie. Bruce just keeps getting shit talk. Shit talk the whole... By Alfred, by Bane, now by a fucking dead man. Oh, (laughs) man.
0: Telling Bruce with all his moral uh, authority, power, and resources the best he could achieve was a lie. Now you see Gotham is beyond saving and must be allowed to die. With a shout, Raz vanishes.
1: Time has passed. Snow covers the city of Gotham. It has become a desolate city. The police are living in the sewers, getting the news by letter on a string by Blake. The orphanage has become a refuge for more than just children without parents. In the pit, there is an improvement. Bruce is all is up and walking all by himself. <laughs> Not only that, he's now doing sit-ups, push-ups, and pull-ups, all the ups. <laughs> <laughs> he's really attempt. He is ready to attempt to climb. The first attempt fails, but when he falls back down, wouldn't that fucking rope snap his neck out of place again? Like um, he's literally his, thrown down by his, like his, his back. You mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's very strange because when they show it, they make it look like it's a very painful process.
1: That's what I'm saying, and yeah, it just seems like this would. Re break him, but I guess not. <laughs> Bruce's caretaker carrying Bruce back to his bed, uh, if he's heard the story at all that he was he's been telling. And Bruce sarcastically says, Yeah, you told me a child did it, it being the climb. Yeah, the caretaker sharply replies, A child born in hell, forged by pain, not a man of privilege, military officers under the disguise of being supply truck drivers sneak into Gotham and meet with Gordon's resistance. They have been tracking the truck that the bomb is on for months, but need help to take it down. The military does not wanna make a move on an atomic bomb. Gordon says that this is because he doesn't know the whole story. Instead of just telling the military the bomb is gonna blow in the next 23 days, they decide to take them, to sneak them into the library to see fox and tate which makes absolutely no sense to me just tell the military guy hey it's gonna blow like why are we spending yeah, more time bringing these you extra steps? to the library here there they may there they meet with fox and tate fox says the bomb can be destabilized if connected to the core before the plan can be hatched guns go off bane and his men kill the military officers Herb Bane's instructions, they are hung so the world can see. Bruce, seeing the dead bodies now hanging off the last bridge in Gotham, attempts his second climb. As he falls, a flash from Batman Begins please. Thomas Wayne asking, why do we fall, Bruce? The blind man in the next cell over gives Bruce a hint. Try the climb without a rope. Bruce starts his ascent without a rope. The prisoners' chants from the ground swell. At the topmost step, Bruce is greeted by bats. <laughs> the final jump is made, and because of the rule of threes, Bruce makes it out of the pit.
0: I will say, I've, I've said for years, um, Bruce making it out of the pit. A lot of years. is <laughs> a lot of years. How many years have we been saying this? A lot of years. A lot of years, um, Josh. This is the physical plot point like the literal moment you can like find a moment where the movie completely topples over for me it's everything after this
1: scene completely agree
0: the gotham resistance is ready to make their move against the truck harboring atomic bomb with the exception of foley in his place tate volunteers to help which why not good
1: move good move
0: in an attempt to show Sel- uh, Selina's humanity, she is shown protecting a child who stole an apple because, of course, we still want to feel for this character, yada, yada, yada. Once the kid leaves, Bruce announces himself behind her. Bruce says he needs Selena's help to find Lucius Fox. She says what everyone is thinking. Why should he trust her? If she helps, he will give her the clean slate program. Gordon's plan fails almost instantly. Or He
1: takes <laughs> on the job. <laughs> no. Gone.
0: I mean, of course. He and the other resistance members are taken to the courthouse, now run by our good friend Dr. Crane. A wonderful cameo. I do love it. I think everything Me too. about I think everything about it is wonderful. It's fabulous. it's fabulous. It's fabulous. One of the most one of the most pleasant moments of the film. Uh, Crane's The one asks, moment it
1: doesn't topple over.
0: On, it really on. doesn't. And in terms of the toppling, I'm like, oh wow.
1: No, like, you know what it is though? i even though it's a cameo, I feel like Cully and Murphy understood how this movie was going. He read the script and was like, oh, there's an atomic bomb? I can go all out in this movie? Great. I, and he just, and just like goes for it.
0: He's got his little wings on top of his uh, his outfit. He's just really going for it. And for whatever reason, it works. It's amazing. Um, Crane, simply, <laughs> Crane simply asks, death or exile? Gordon chooses death. Fine, death by exile. I love this idea that this is what Gotham has become when it's run by its criminals. Is here's the man who was the scarecrow who's now wielding his own decisions He's with a little judge. hammer. I love it. I just think it works. I just, I wish the movie ran with this more of that map, kind of This is the map, but this also
1: proves Joker's point. This is Joker's wet dream here. Yeah. Because the city, it, it's proving that when the chips are down, civilized people, they'll eat each other.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's good. It, re- it really rings true, the themes that Joker was trying to establish in the last film. It just despite this movie's problems like it does go for joker's dream it just really makes the whole trilogy as a whole and the whole saga and the whole but arc that's of everything makes
1: it so hard because he's not in this movie and you can just imagine him thriving in this world right now like the <clears> fact, <throat> fact that he's not like on bane's radar to me just rings false well, he yeah. feels
0: he feels he feels incredibly absent, despite this movie achieving things well that it does, and despite it, you know, not doing as things as well as it it should. Yeah, but um, like, I, let's I, be
1: real. If anyone could stop Bane at this moment, it would be the Joker, not because well, he's an ally to Batman, but because the Joker just likes to fuck with whoever is holding the power.
0: But I almost feel like had he been around, it's not just that the movie would have been better but i almost feel like by throwing joker in at all especially if he's the one who comes because you want to make bane your villain right so let's say that was the plan all along even to have joker coming in the third third act he's not existing at all in the film and then all of a sudden you throw this monkey wrench in here who maybe when gotham's prisoners are released that here comes joker and then maybe he's the one who's responsible for bane's death or whatever like all of a sudden he's this you bring that anarchy card back into play, and I feel like we really would be talking about a completely different movie.
1: It's a hard call because you either put him in or you don't. The same way that, you know, uh, the rise of Skywalker had the problem with Leia, where you either put her in or you don't. Some people say it worked. Some people did, said it didn't work.
0: Absolutely. You know, but
1: they tried her. You know. But either way, to me, you it you feel it lost. Because you not did. having the Joker was a loss, or having Leo was a loss. Yeah,
0: so, no, which yeah, it's, it's no matter how you slice
1: is. it, it was be, It's two bad options that don't yeah. work either way.
0: Death or exile. Gordon chooses death. Fine, death by exile. Before the resistance is taken away, Bane tells one of his men to bring Tate over. Bruce, now in the courthouse, finds Fox, who is also with Tate. They warn <laughs> Bruce the bomb is going to go off in twelve hours. Dude, Catwoman. Fox.
1: What are you doing? Marion was just on trial. You saw it. You're in the fucking courthouse and you're letting her sit next to you. Get on your shit. There's I'm sorry. Some,
0: there's some problems going on here.
1: My dude is not having a good movie.
0: My man. Um, Catwoman holding up her end of the bargain gets Bruce and Fox out of the courthouse. Bruce and Fox go to the Bat Cave from the Dark Knight to grab tools and begin to fix the bat.
1: My tools my tools in the dark of night gordon and his resistance begin their exile by death walking across the frozen river hoping it won't crack a few steps forward gordon finds a flare on the floor from the shadow comes a familiar gravelly voice light it up a bat symbol on the bridge presents itself in flames which how did he do this did batman just like literally sit there and paint this bridge i'm Uh... sorry I
0: guess he did. I don't know. I don't want to
1: harp on it. It's really a lot. It is a declaration of war, a beacon of hope to the city and a call to help for those listening. Foley takes the call for help. Bane cannot believe it. Simply saying impossible. Did also, did Tate not tell Bane that Bruce is back? She just saw him in the courthouse. Batman hands Gordon a device to put into the bomb. The device will disconnect the bomb from the detonator. Batman then saves Blake and releases all the cops from underground. Hooray, we did it so easily. You got all the cops out. Batman thanks Blake for the army, but wants Blake to try and get as many people out of Gotham as possible. So in the never ending setups, Batman gives uh, Catwoman the bat pod. She needs to blow up the debris blocking the tunnel out of Gotham. Batman also implores her to help. She just wants to get as far away as possible and even asks him to come with her. You don't owe these people anymore. You've given them
0: everything.
1: Not everything. Not yet. The war for Gotham is about to begin. One side, the police are in line with Foley making his way to the front. The other side are Bane's men with a tumbler. The tumbler cannons point at the police. The bat flies down and the first shots of battle are taken as the tumbler is disabled. Both sides charge toward one another. Gordon, upholding his part of the plan, was able to stop a truck, but it was a decoy. The second truck, Gordon is able to get onto it, but not stop it. However, he is able to get into the truck and disarm the bomb from detonation. The timer is still counting down, though. Blake, likewise, is doing his job. He has rounded up the orphans and anyone around the area. They all get on a bus and go to the bridge. There, Blake and an officer on the other side confront each other. The officer, afraid if the bus leaves, the city will blow up, stops, any attempt of an escape, and blows the bridge. In the heat of battle, Bane and Batman spot each other and begin to fight. Bane's brute force is still too strong for Batman. Bane's punches literally break stone. Literally. (laughs) Batman begins to break Bane's mask and Bane falls. I broke you. How have you come
0: back? You think you're the only one who could learn the strength to escape. Where's the trigger? I never escaped. With a child child of Ra's al Ghul may decline. But he's not the child of Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> I am.
1: All the past secrets make themselves known as Tate Stabs Batman. As she tenderly fixes Bane's mask, she tells the rest of her story. She was the child who escaped. Once free, she found her father, Ra's al Ghul. He helped save Bane from the pit, but excommunicated him. Bane was a constant reminder of Roz's past failures. Seems like a bullshit excuse to me. (laughs) She continues saying that she could not forgive her father until Batman murdered him. Now, as Bane said earlier in the film, she is Gotham's reckoning. Oh, and she likes to go by Talia. Good for her. Who didn't see that one coming? Talia pushes the button to blow up the city, but Gordon already disarmed it. Regardless, there is only 11 minutes until it blows. Talia tells a now healed Bane to keep Batman alive so he can feel the city burn. As soon as Talia drives away, Bane turns to Batman saying, you know I have to kill you now. Before any punches are thrown, a blast goes off. Just like Boba Fett, Bane is gone in the lamest way possible. Seriously, like... I don't even have, yeah. Bane it's, is completely cooked. I'm sorry. It's just like, my guy, you're like, you you're. I know you're no longer the main villain, but you don't have to go out like a bitch. <laughs> um,
0: I'm all for characters being very quickly written off when it's completely unexpected because it's a great way to pull the rug from under the audience's feet but this isn't a moment that feels like it's really warranted in terms of taking more than two hours of investing time into a villain. It's kind of like, all right, well, he's gone now because of this and that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's
1: I, again, I'm a, I'm a last Jedi lover. So like when Admiral Akbar died in that movie, I was like, okay, I get it. It's the heat of battle and he's not really like a main character. He didn't, right. he, he doesn't, you can buy it. I can buy it in this case it's like this is this was like the main villain i know he's not the main villain anymore but like this is the guy you presented for like two hours two hours 15 minutes at this point yeah this is a main character and you just blow him away like that like come on it's Uh, really
0: it's really it's really disrespectful
1: you're doing him dirty
0: (laughs) it's really dirty it's
1: so disrespectful
0: oh just like boba fett that's a great way of putting it
1: catwoman on the bat pod shot him there's no time for gratitude batman needs catwoman's help to stop the bomb he oddly i don't know if you noticed but like when he asks for catwoman's help it's oddly in the bruce voice and not the batman voice
0: (laughs) i never really put it together
1: the bat and the bat pod versus three tumblers The objective for Batman is to ensure the truck and uh, the truck, the tumblers are guarding to move east. It can, I'm going to, the objective for Batman is to ensure that the truck holding the bomb moves east. It can still be stabilized if connected to the reactor. The bat pod destroys two tumblers, big flex move for Catwoman. Right. The bat being chased by heat missiles redirects the last one into Destroying the last tumbler. The truck with the atomic weapon avoids going east, but by doing so falls off a highway bridge. Which I don't understand how the bomb didn't go off when the car gets into a car accident. Like, this car accident kills someone, but it doesn't set off an atomic bomb. I'm no physicist, but it just seems crazy to me. The fall kills Talia, but not before she reveals that the reactor base has been overridden. There is no way to disable the bomb. She dies happy, thinking her father's work has been done. Gordon, who somehow survives the fall with all his motor functions still, still intact, <coughs> comes out of the back. <laughs> Batman ties the bomb to the bat. Catwoman kisses Batman goodbye. Gordon, for the first time, wants to know who Batman is. Not, not for him, but for someone else, of course. He just wants to know. For, for someone else, if someone's going to ask, who do I tell them you are? In reality, he says everyone should know who saved the city. Batman replies, A hero could be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders and letting him know the world hasn't ended. Somehow, Gordon knows that that means Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Which, again, logic gaps. I guess Bruce Wayne is the only child Gordon has ever consoled.
0: How long ago is that supposed to be? This is at least years. 20, 30 years. That Bruce turns 30 in Batman Begins. If we're supposed to believe the Dark Knight is maybe shortly after that, and this is year eight years two. later, Bruce is pushing 40 at this point.
1: That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's like 30 years. You're
0: harking back on a moment in a police station where he puts a coat around a boy 30 years that's prior. That's what I'm saying. Like, Get out of here. Is,
1: is Bruce the only child he consoled in his line of work? That just doesn't seem I, true to the character.
0: It's just... It's really something.
1: Whatever. Uh, Jubilee in the city is taking hold as the cops have retaken the city and the kids see the bat take flight, flying away with the bomb. The scene is sobered as the bomb goes off. The city is saved. Somehow, the nuclear blast didn't kill everyone. But let I'm me sorry, tell you something. Just... These guys... The bomb may have not gone off in Gotham, but... Every single person in that city is dead within the next five years from radiation poisoning. <laughs> They'd have to be. I've watched Chernobyl. There's just no way you walk Great out from series. that. Great series. Amazing. Great series. I didn't know you watched it, but Great it's amazing. Series. Amazing. Uh, but I'm yeah, actually happy there's you watched no... it, but there's no way you walk away from no, a can't. nuclear bomb. Unscathed. I'm sorry. No, Don't, but there go is go no on.
0: Gordon is reading Hamlet's final monologue. A funeral is being held for Bruce Wayne. It is a small gathering of only Gordon, Blake, Fox, and a hysterical Alfred. Another truly heart-wrenching moment from uh, Michael Caine. Really selling it. Beautiful. Not not even fastidiously. The man really sells it.
1: No, he does amazing in this movie.
0: Um, At the altar of Thomas and Martha's graves, Alfred asks for forgiveness. You trusted me and I failed you. Per Bruce's will, the mansion will go to the orphans. All his possessions will top to Alfred. And a bag of climbing equipment go to John Blake. Sorry, Robin, John Blake, which... No, I'm not going to do it right now. Nolan wink, notable Nolan humor. Let's just pretend it's a joke. I didn't say it was
1: a joke. I'm just saying this is Nolan, like, winking at
0: you. Fox, meanwhile, is seeing if anything could have been done to fix the Bat's autopilot but it was fixed 6 months ago by Bruce Wayne.
1: I'm sorry again. Fox,
0: my dude, what are you doing in this movie? My, my man, what happened? The Batman is also being memorialized as a statue is put into place in City Hall. At the cafe in Florence, Alfred is being seated. Over in the distance, he notices a familiar face. It is Bruce sitting with Selena Kyle. Alfred and Bruce do not say hello or exchange pleasantries, but Alfred knows that he is happy. He has gotten his goodwill hunting ending. Following the instructions left to him, Robin finds himself in the cave under Wayne Manor. As he walks forward, the floor beneath pushes out of the water. The dark night has risen, to say the least. The
1: end. My... Lord. Good grief. Let's just get right into final thoughts here. I'll start off with mine. This movie, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It very much reminds me, I told you Star Wars was coming back. It very, very much reminds me of The Rise of Skywalker in many ways. One is a sequel to a movie that it completely ignores. I get that the sins of what happened in the dark Knight carry over. But in reality, this is a sequel to Batman begins, not to the dark Knight. just like the rise of Skywalker is a sequel to the force awakens, not a sequel to the last Jedi. Also like the rise of Skywalker. It just has so much plot. Everything is just so plotted and not driven by character. It is driven by plot. It is just, Oh, then this happens. And, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in the right place at the right time. Oh, this happens here. We get the Wayfinder. He can get out of the pit. Like, it's just plot beats that go on and on. And it just drives me crazy. And very much like the Dark Knight, uh, like uh, the last, The Rise of Skywalker, the movie, I can't even remember the name for. Both movies rise. Yes. (laughs) Just like The Rise of Skywalker, the plot goes into an extreme territory that I can't even follow. Like, it just becomes too silly for its own good, and it's trying so hard to be serious, and I can't take it seriously. I'm going to give it one compliment. Well, other than the music I spoke about earlier. But my only compliment is I applaud what Nolan tried to do in the fact that he tried to make it bigger and he tried to make a Batman movie with as little Batman as possible. I commend him for trying, but...
0: Yeah, hey, you, you can tell me you feel like that's what he was going for.
1: But at a certain point, you have to remember it is a Batman movie. It is not an episode of The Wire. To add Robin into this movie, you didn't need to do it. His character really didn't... Like, what like. is the point of his character? Uh, Marion Cotillard as Talia... Sure, I get it. He's, she's the daughter of Roz, but was it needed? Absolutely not. Like, there are beats in here that are just thrown in to be thrown in, to add to the plot that's already confusing. It's too much. It's too much tuna fish. Way too much tuna fish. One more big, big glaring issue. I don't mean to get political in this podcast at all, but given what we have witnessed the past few weeks... The message that this movie sends about a strong brooding police force being the only solution to your problem just does not sit well with me.
0: More so now than ever, it feels like the whole police force of, especially them all shouting and charging at the bad guys, like, yeah. it, it feels a lot more now that it's like, all right. Uh.
1: It, and that's just very emblematic of where policing is in general, so, or you know, insomnia po- <clears throat> poked at this. Nolan has a way of saying the ends justify the means when it comes to police police brutality, and right. I just don't really buy into that mindset. Again, I don't want to make this political, but that's my final thought.
0: Your final thought ties to mine, but it's just kind of the biggest problem this movie faces is that it's when, in the terms of people saying you can't have your cake and eat it too, this is a this is the one of the clearest, most loudest examples I've seen in movies where they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. They are trying to be a – it's trying to be a ambitious comic book movie and a Nolan movie, and it's trying to be an artistic film, and yet this giant comic book blockbuster, and it creates this very um, – intriguing conversation for me in terms of like what it means in the grand scheme of things because not necessarily is this movie good or bad that's not what the question is it's that look at all the problems that came out of everything it's it's handled sloppily it's just very you know what it is
1: i feel like again i we don't know the inside of his mind but it seems pretty clear he never wanted to make it so well, his heart and soul is just lacking in so much of it. The only thing this movie was for him was a way for him to just play with as many new toys as he possibly could. He went as big as he could because he wanted to play with as many toys as he could because he knew he was guaranteed returns on the income here. Absolutely. And he wanted to make interstellar. He had to make this movie. So he said, fuck it. I'm going to just make this as big as possible so that in the <clears throat> future, I know how to do bigger and more and in- important stuff like i guarantee he learned a lot of lessons on this movie that he has carried with him into his oh absolutely it's that's what this movie was to him it was just like him playing with new toys it wasn't a movie he wanted to make he just decided fuck it i'll string a story around big set pieces
0: like I, i mean but you can you can chalk it all up to like what has nolan been trying to say where when we were talking about the dark knight like there was that moment where uh, Batman and Joker are talking in the prison and I had stopped and I said I feel like this is the crux of what Nolan's been trying to say his whole career
1: and no. you ne- and you never feel a moment like that in this movie you, no, never you f- just nailed it on the head the difference between this movie and the Dark Knight is the philosophy behind it is missing sure Bane is the villain kind of and Talia is the villain kind of but sure. there's no like reasoning behind what they're doing, except like we're finishing what should have been done eight years ago. Absolutely. It's like, that's not a good enough reason to blow up an entire city. Like my daddy died. Like, that's not a good reason. I'm and sorry. And you're getting
0: revenge. It's like, okay, I get like, it. Like the Joker,
1: but it- it's just more interesting because you can have a moment where Batman and Joker talk about the philosophy of why they're fighting. Here right. it's just like Bane is coming in and breaking Batman while shit talking. It's like he's right. playing a video game. I, I don't know.
0: But then you realize that Bane isn't. But the real, the real kicker, and it's I'm not mad at the decision. I'm just mad at how they did it. But it, the real kicker is that Bane is truthfully not the real villain of the story. Bane's shit talking all of a sudden makes sense. He's like, oh, he's really just a ploy. He's really just, he's a, just front- a puppet. Exactly, because Talia al Ghul's the real villain, and then all of a sudden you go, "Well, what's her motive?" And like you said, it's like, "Well, uh, whatever." It's
1: her so- motive is, "Daddy died." There's no
0: motive behind it. I have no agenda and let's be to
1: real. She does. She's not given any moment to shine, really. And, and I think yeah. that's my point when it comes to Blake and Talia. It's like you're always in the right place at the right time, except at the end when you shit the bed. Like, at the end, Blake is stuck on a bridge watching the plane take off. He's not down in the muck with the other police officers, which I get. Like, he had to save other people. But, like, did he really? Why not show him be a badass? If you're going to make him Batman, you have to prove to me he can be a badass. Mm -hmm. Everything we have seen from this man is he is useless. And You're talking about Blake. Yeah, I'm talking about Blake. And the same with Talia. It's like you were never given a moment to shine okay you're the main villain that's great then show me what you got you're supposed right. to be the, the daughter of raz al ghul can you fight like he could right i don't know you died in a fucking car crash right like, those characters are just sidelined and it's like then why are you in the movie at all right the the, the,
0: the characters themselves become more crutches for the, the film's plot like it's almost like oh we need plot here okay quick let's do something with this character talia
1: is an unnecessary plot device and blake is just the message of the movie absolutely he's, that's they're, what he's that he's not a character he's the living embodiment of the message of the movie there's like you could have built a mo- a character strong enough to carry that message absolutely and, and do that
0: and it's just it's interesting because you look at the real problem here and it's like it's not in Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Marion C- uh, Cotillard or, 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 or any of like the actors. It's just the way that their characters were written. It's the way that their characters are presented. It's just not. That's my point. Like, like they're literally like to call them plot devices is an understatement. Like they're just there's no other purpose on that. Like, oh. We need you here because we need a plot change. We need you here because this is what the movie's really about. You said this was like Rise of Skywalker. And I said I strongly disagree. When we talked about it, I said I don't feel like this movie handles the material as sloppily as Rise of Skywalker does. But like I do, I do see the comparison because what you're doing is you're disrespecting rich material that came before it.
1: Like I said, it's a sequel to Batman Begins, not to The Dark Knight. Right, and which if you, you want to bring it full circle, that's
0: fine. But there's a way you can do it, and yeah. And accent my point is, story.
1: like, most people are coming to see this movie because they saw The Dark Knight, not because they saw Batman Begins.
0: You know, you don't get to see a payoff. It does. This movie does not feel like payoff. It feels like you're completing an arc that we never asked to be completed in the first place. You know what I mean? It's like cool, like Ra's al Ghul, like you're completing his legacy and you're tying it into the first movie, but like. Also, once Russell Gould was gone and Liam Neeson's character was dead, like, I didn't care about that story anymore. What you're doing is you're reintroducing an old book and you're closing a chapter on it, which I thought was already done. with.
1: I, I also always say, judge a movie with what you got, not with what you wanted it to be. Right. Which, okay, fine. I'm judging this movie on its own merits. And it's still just a very sloppy movie.
0: I think that because for, ye- for years, I remember with this movie coming out and people saying, like, oh, this is dog shit, and being like, you know what? It's not that bad. It's really just the end of it. That's bad. And like I said to even tonight, like, and I feel the same way, like when Bruce leaves the pit, the
1: movie changes. I brought up The Phantom Menace at the beginning of the podcast, and that's how I felt about this movie. I feel Phantom Menaced. You know, leaving the theater, I thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, and then time wore on and I'm like, maybe it's not so great that the Trade Federation Nemoidians were like racist caricatures. (laughs) You know, maybe it's not a good idea that Bane's voice was in a fucking mask the whole time. You know, it's like the same thing. The thing, the little things just chip away and you're like, maybe that movie isn't as good as I thought it was yeah it is it's
0: the last 20 minutes of this movie i've said it i said and that's what i wanted to bring back when i saw it with my friends from camp uh my the co-counselors it's just i remember sitting in a row of my friends and like the right half of me was like this is incredible like i gotta stay through all the credits it's amazing and the other half being like yo let's get the hell out of here that was the biggest piece of shit i've ever seen like and i remember feeling very much so and like hey like i agree like these guys saw something great these guys saw something terrible and like i saw something a little bit of both and yeah. that's how i feel about this this is like a very 50 50 movie for me like i really feel like that first hour 40 if not the i don't even want to give the two hours and 15 it's just a lot this, this movie movie's is a, a lot. lot um it's just weird because i've always felt like this movie gets a bum rap and yet i feel like i can justify anyone who talks shit against it like i get it, but i also think that like this movie does a lot of good things it's really for me the, the third act of this movie completely drops the ball
1: it was like the end of game of thrones it's like sure <laughs> it's like sure some of these plot points may make sense if you explain them more but you're not sure. giving me time to digest the ridiculousness you're throwing at me like, and
0: that's, yeah. And that's why you were going off the point I said about Batman and Joker versus Batman and Bane. And it's just this whole idea of like, what is the actual crux of this movie? What is the actual point of the hero versus villain dynamic? What are you doing differently that was done in the Dark Knight? And the reality is, is even though Bane is a very different kind of villain, and as a great way you established or reestablished established that he's a terrorist, uh, Joker was an anarchist. The themes, like still don't feel too groundbreaking.
1: Those are our feelings in a nutshell. We, <laughs> we're we not a huge fans <laughs> to say the least. Well, I mean, Josh I, likes it. I like but, it, but I know that it's problematic. He's in like with it, but he's not willing to tell you he's in like with it.
0: <laughs> I'm more willing to tell you I like the movie, and though I secretly I have a lot of problems with
1: it. He likes the movie, but he doesn't like like the movie. Um, uh, I, I don't like it in that way. Uh, so for my pick of the week, I'm going to go with Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. It is both hilarious and heartbreaking. It's is uh, the first sound film Charlie Chaplin ever made came out in 1940 and is about uh, Nazism. And it's like one of the most ballsy movies ever. Could you imagine in 1940, making a comedy about Hitler? Like he's in power, the height of his power. And he's getting pwned by Charlie Chaplin, the man with the same mustache. It's like pretty funny. You gotta give him credit. And in a moment... The moment we're in right now, again, I'm not getting political, but the message of the movie hits strong. And it's a message that is told through comedy, but it's an important message nonetheless. So that's my pick of the week.
0: Um, in in contrast to your pick, as I like to do, and I actually had this pulled up before you even started speaking, um, I'm going to go with American Psycho. Nice. Um, uh, if you know, Chris, we just talked to you know, dove into a film, a trilogy with uh, you know, Christian Bale, uh, from the year 2000, directed by Mary Harron, But a um, very explicit, dark horror, uh, I don't want to call it a, a horror comedy, but it's filled with comedic moments.
1: It is a dark, dark comedy, it is as black a comedy as it gets
0: is about i mean because it's really it is satire i mean you look at the idea it takes place in the 80s and wall street culture and um guys with s- fancy suits and slick black hair and sl- slick back hair and um uh detailed in uh card uh, you know cards of uh with the with the fine print there of their that's what i was about to say the lettering Do you, you just... watch
1: that card sequence and tell me it's not a comedy. Well, someone—it's funny
0: because I saw on, on Instagram someone had reposted. It was on a, one of the movie groups that I follow, and someone had just posted the scene, and all of a sudden I had was just watching just the scene out of context, it was just him observing the cards and the inner monologue, and I started laughing out loud. And I'm watching, and I'm like, "This is hilarious!" Because he's so obsessed with the fonts, and he's—you see—he's like so into it, and just. It's funny to dive into the psyche of a character like that who takes axes and hacks up hookers and uh, you know drops chainsaws on these naked women running through these halls, and it's just it's funny. This bloody well very who gross- knows if it happened.
1: That ending is also like you know everyone gives credit to Inception, but American Psycho did it first. You know <laughs> what what is reality? It's really the question that, that ends American that, Psycho.
0: That movie will make you question everything that you've just watched it's amazing so good choice um, i think we have covered a lot of
1: ground yes thank you all for listening to this tuna i mean fish filled podcast as this is our biggest find me at mr film art on instagram
0: as always you can find steven at mr film art on instagram
1: all right everyone until next time